0: Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennan. Here we celebrate and honor people in recovery, one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is the second part of a two part series on what is rock bottom. As mentioned last time, COVID has had a significant impact on people suffering from addiction and who are in recovery and the effects of rock bottom as well. For the LGBTQ community, however, it has also been hard hitting. Even without a pandemic, this community has been negatively impacted when it comes to mental health issues, substance abuse, addiction, and access to comprehensive treatment. So let me put this shit in perspective. 7% of the US population identifies as lesbian, bisexual, gay, or transgender. And this number is growing. This is based on a Gallup poll posted on February of 2022. Also, in a national survey in 2019, over 9% of the population ages 18 to 25 had an alcohol use disorder versus 12% in the LGBTQ young adults. Adults 26 and older had alcohol use disorder over 5% of the time, while LGBTQ adults had nearly 12% of the time. More than double. You see a trend here? Rates of opiate use among LGBTQ adults was close to 2% in 2019, almost two times the 0.6% rate of Americans overall. Basically, gender and sexually diverse persons have higher rates of substance abuse than people who identify as heterosexual. Also, co-occurring disorders are also higher in this population and community, meaning substance abuse on top of mental health issues. How can the LGBTQ community manage this? There are examples offering some hope. This um, leads me to our next guest. I'm excited to introduce this person who has done a lot to help himself rise above the ashes, literally, and is currently in service for others in the LGBTQ community. He is from Palm Springs and a California native. Welcome to the podcast, Rory. Hello. Hey,
1: Dr. Maylee. How's it going? <laughs> it's
0: going. Thank you so much for taking a moment out of the hot weather down there. To talk I'm to like, us, gladly, <laughs>
1: I will gladly spend some time in the air-conditioned <laughs> office space for this. Oh, come on!
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks again. So, you know, as mentioned earlier, with the high rates of addiction, the LGBTQ community. What do you believe the main reasons might be?
1: Um, oh, I love that question. So, to put it really, really simply, I guess you know, I've I've come to the understanding that you know, addiction feeds on shame and guilt. And queer people have no shortage of shame or guilt. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that was, that's pretty. That's pretty simply put. You know, to get a to go a little bit deeper into that, you know, obviously a lot of us struggle with some form of uh, internalized homophobia, or maybe we grew up in an unsafe household. Um, bottom line is that you know when we go throughout our day to day, not feeling as though we are part of the community around us in some way, shape or form, right? Is start That kind of stuff starts to build right. on you, kind of like a tumor. And eventually you find something that's going to get rid of that tumor or at least make it feel like it's not there, right? Maybe it's mm-hmm. a drink, maybe it's a drug. What is it? Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's a, a relationship. You know, a lot of us are, are oftentimes looking to escape some form of reality, um, especially when the reality around us just isn't that pleasant to be in. Okay. <laughs> and I'm very grateful and times are changing, and it's. Uh, I get to live in a day and age where it's much more okay for me to be me, but, you know, that hasn't always been the case.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. You know, and with all of those kind of barriers, what does rock bottom mean to you?
1: Well, for me, it was uh, it was getting to a point where my... How do I put this? where my pride and my ego no longer had a say in what was going to come next for me, right? Where it was time to ask for help or or die um, when it was really, I, I had nothing. And most people know rock bottom as that, you know, I'm at the lowest point of my possible life. But, you know, I had a couple of different rock bottoms, a couple of different lines that I crossed. So I'll never do that and then cross that line and then you get used to it. And then you find a new line, you draw that line and you say, well, I'll never, I'll never cross that line. I'll never go do that or be with these people or go to that place and do that thing. And then you cross that line and get used to it. And eventually you find a line where you're just like, yeah, but I won't do that. But I won't do that. (laughs) And then you do. And then, yeah. And then, and then you do, uh, you finally cross that line and you're like, I, I, this is, this is, I can't do this anymore and eventually, like I said, that, that ego, that pride for me, it was a lot of both. Uh, it was that little voice in the back of my head that says, yeah, but you could probably figure this out. You could probably get your way, get out of this alone. Right. Um, I grew up with the little voice in my head that says, you know, you got yourself into this situation. You can get yourself out. And that probably didn't do me any favors when I was, you know, crash burning down into the train wreck of my, my active addiction. Um,
0: so tell so me sh- a little more about that your personal experience with that the rock bottom.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> let's see where do we begin? So uh if I was to paint you a picture of my like my childhood and the life that I was living and stuff like that and you know it would be very much so a self-fulfilling prophecy that I would I would get hooked on drugs. My uh and it wasn't just drugs specifically hard, harder substances it started with liquor uh when i was a teenager um i definitely knew that i was different at a young age you know and uh, I'm, I'm the oldest of four to two super young parents my mother was 15 when i was born my dad 17 joined the military yeah. and um and then they decided to have three kids after that so you know yeah. uh we all kind of grew up together it's how we we jokingly talk about mm-hmm. it today but it's uh it it's the childhood you might think it could it would be given those circumstances right i mean all of my need my basic needs were met i, I was generally happy as a kid growing up but you know i lived in a violent household parents kind of fought here or there and mm-hmm. um if it wasn't physically it was, it was definitely verbally more often than not verbally abusive to one another um and so you know i i also i was really i was introduced to alcohol and drugs at a young age just seeing it around not I, I didn't take my first drink or drug until I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my dad was a raging alcoholic. My mom was a raging codependent, and uh, they both had anger issues. So uh, from my perspective, I, I saw it as, oh, alcohol is the reason for all of this chaos and all of this. So I was determined not to be like my father. Right. And so I didn't drink, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) which is great because I just opened up the door for other substances. Right. As long as I wasn't drinking, I wasn't going to turn into that. Um, I moved out really young. I was uh, 16. Uh, My parents went through separation, kind of messy stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was struggling with my homosexuality with who I, how I identified, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, as a queer male, um, and, uh, I was looking for reasons to kind of escape, right? My first escape was escaping my parents' house, my dad's house. Uh, my second escape was in the bottom of a bottle. You know, my third escape was in men. Um, I, I met, a I met somebody who very much so, you know, I was, I was 16, 17 years old. He was in his twenties. And, you know, for me, oh, we were going to get married. Like I was in love with this person mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, that, that really planted a seed of co- my mother's codependency kind of re reawakened all this stuff basically uh i was what he wanted me to be in the moment which was you know his dirty little secret you know somebody that he could kind of call on you know he was straight and all this mm. stuff and uh, he also broke my heart with some you know with one of those you know Came up to me. It was my senior year in high school. And I was like, I never want to see you again. If you see me cross the street, kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not gay. Whatever you know. And then then that for me. Okay, I already know that in my head, being gay is a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm, and he just, mm-hmm. the, you know, um, validated that that notion. So now, you know, okay, well, I can't be gay. So there go there. We go back into the closet. I can't tell anybody about this experience um which i'm very grateful didn't last very long uh when i was 18 i moved to long beach and really just <laughs> the, let down the floodgates and all hell broke loose you know as mm-hmm. i was off to the races uh i i was gay in the day of the apps so finding my next fling or my next person to drink with or drug with was super easy to do it mm-hmm. was at your fingertips Um, I let go of school. And over the course of a number of years, my life really just started to slowly but surely spiral. And I had some really good positives in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up hearing things like boys don't dance. That's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, or other smaller microaggressions like um, why are you singing the girl's part to the to the song with the boy in it, kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my sister, she's the youngest, you know, playing with her dolls and stuff. Boys don't play with dolls, so those those little things, you know. Sure. I eventually found found uh, found something I fell in love with. I was coming to terms with who I was and finally getting comfortable with my sexuality, mm-hmm. and I found uh, I found dance. I'd always had like a fascination with dance and, you know, dancers and knew that boys didn't dance, but these boys, these boys dance and these boys loved dancing with me and I invited me out. We would dance and drink and party and all this kind of fun stuff. And they were all actually part of a, a company and they invited me to dance with them, wow. um, take their classes, fundraising stuff. And eventually they invited me to audition and I'd never, never danced before. Um, found my passion when they invited me uh to be part of the company right they hired me as uh oh. as a trainee they trained me over the next couple of years and I have found dance and dance probably prolonged my rock bottom because that was the hardest thing for me to let go of mm. um eventually you know I found uh, I found crystal meth which is the drug that brought me to my knees and uh that took precedent over everything and I was no longer able to keep a calm cool collected head in rehearsals I was losing weight. And so my image was taking a hit. Um, and, uh, yeah, then it got, it got really dark. It got really, really bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know mm-hmm. that was, uh, my early twenties. I disappeared from all of my friends, all of my dancer friends thought I died or a good handful of them. Uh-huh. Um, and it was later on in my recovery where I was able to make amends to them, but yeah, it got, it got it got really 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 ugly. The uh, you know everything from um, knowing that I had a, a decent image, right? I could sell my sell my body for my next drugs, you know, for my next fix. And so I was tricking, is what we call it, I was mm-hmm. tricking and hooking and all that kind of stuff. And um, that's how I was getting by, you know. And eventually, uh, Los Angeles became too expensive, mm-hmm. and so I found my way into Palm Springs. And spent a couple years in Palm Springs where the drugs were cheaper, the men were older and, uh, AKA more was going to be given to me and provided to me. And I was very, very, very okay with that.
0: I'm retrieving away.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, just when, like I talked about crossing the lines, just when I thought it wouldn't get any worse, it kept getting worse mm. and worse. I lost my car. I no longer was able to provide myself for myself. This went on for a few years and, uh, I remember January, 2020, so I'm only recently sober. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll get to the sobriety date in just a sec, but Mm -hmm. January, 2020, I, uh, I was, I hit a new rock bottom, right? This person Mm -hmm. that I had been running the streets with, he was, uh, he and I were close. We'd had a really intimate close connection was super rare in the meth, sex, drug, underworld scene, Mm -hmm. which there is a very dark underbelly uh, for the queer community, um, and it revolves around meth, the getting and using and selling and all that kind of stuff.
0: Um,
1: But I had found this person, and we'd really connected. We looked out for each other. (laughs) By looked out for each other. I mean, like, you know, if I didn't have a hotel, he had one, and vice versa. (laughs) We were basically supporting each other's drug habits, right? Mm -hmm. And um, January 2020, he got sober, like, just up and left, me in my hotel room, nothing, but a note he even left like the little gifts that we got each other kind of stuff yeah which you know i'm I'm also really uh we had a really solid understanding in my active drug use i will say one thing my parents gave me was like a really really good uh, sense of self-awareness um and maybe that's maybe it was self-consciousness for a while being mm-hmm. self-conscious but it, it eventually turned into being very self-aware right and i was very very aware of the uh, the notion that as long as meth was in the picture i would never be able to put anybody have a, have anybody else as a priority in my life Meth mm-hmm. would always come first um but when he went and got sober i was like oh well there goes that or abandoned again and now what right and of course that wasn't enough for me to get clean and sober so it was a few more months of running around, causing hell and, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, doing whatever I could to, to get my next fix and to, um, yeah, to figure out how to get a substance into my body. And obviously I'm an equal opportunity junkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never, I never ventured into You don't opiates. discern. I, I don't discern. Mm-hmm. She's not stingy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I never, I never ventured into opiates. I've learned today that I call that a yet. You know, I haven't uh-huh. ventured into opiates yet, and I'll talk about that in a second. Sure. But, uh, uh, but everything else was fair game as long as it could take me out of myself. I had this queer thing that I, you know, thank God I had come. i had taken some time, and uh, or that dance had given me a sense of self-expression, and I mm-hmm. kind of had really good understanding of who I was. But I had that kind of lingering around, which I feel like it always will until maybe in my older age. Mm-hmm. Um, I had The fact that I Disappeared from my family And felt like I couldn't contact them I had ruined Family gatherings Mm -hmm. I showed up To my sister's graduation Completely Loaded off my ass And Mm -hmm. you know Stole her limelight She was the youngest Graduating high school And so this was A very emotional time For my parents You know Empty nest syndrome Kind of stuff And Mm -hmm. I'm over here um, sucked up skinny as hell causing all kinds of concern and my best solution for that was to disappear right just to avoid them all together uh, I had friends who thought I was dead uh, I had lost my passion I hadn't danced in years I just mm-hmm. was no longer doing it was or no longer capable of it um, and anybody and everybody that I thought cared about me um, or that I had given value uh, disappeared mm-hmm. when my drugs ran out or when I was no longer physically uh, usable right.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. So
1: that feeling of just incomprehensible demoralization that we talk about in the big book, Mm -hmm. um, that lingered for a few months. Uh, I was given the gift of desperation because I get a little programmy. Um, When uh, end of February 2020, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, all this fear was happening. I remember... I got really sick with like a sinus infection and cough and fever and I'm homeless at this point. So I didn't exactly have anywhere to, to hunker down. Right. Um, and we, we joke and we call it, you know, you took, you take somebody hostage, kind of took somebody hostage and stole his couch for a while <laughs> and uh, s- sick, nasty looking shriveled up kid on the couch
0: right.
1: Uh Really contemplating how the hell my life ended up here, and just praying somebody would come rescue me, or somebody would, or he would kick me out, and I would have to think on my feet because I would, I would, I'm a survivor by, mm-hmm, by nature, mm-hmm. grew up knowing how to survive, learning how to uh, take care of my siblings, uh, looking in a pantry, seeing five items, and being able to six feed six people. You know that kind of mentality yeah. of survivor mm-hmm. instinct. Um, so I was hoping something like that would happen, and and it didn't. Eventually, uh, I got a little bit better. Not much, but still symptomatic. Uh, mm-hmm. At this point, I had unmanaged HIV. Um, hadn't been taking meds in a number, in a, maybe a good year or so, which is extremely dangerous. Yes. Um, especially with somebody with a bad drug habit. Who's mm-hmm. sick. So I'm, I'm highly at risk, is what, is what we call mm-hmm. it. Um, and I remember turning on the news and hearing about the, 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 the Wuhan coronavirus, is what we were calling it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. all this big, terrifying scary virus that was thankfully contained in one part of the world right mm-hmm. but where it was running rapid in one part of the world the response was terrifying you know armored vehicles and you know uh mm-hmm. our uh, militias and militaries and whatever you know uh calling or out in the streets making sure people are quarantining inside and locked down mm-hmm. right and uh i remember seeing and hearing about that in west hollywood which was close really close to home right mm-hmm. that early march that first second week in march when i'm still sick moseying around palm springs trying to figure out what i'm doing with my six backpacks on if you're a meth addict you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) six backpacks full of cables that don't go to anything but i needed to feel useful somehow (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but i remember seeing uh you know the heavy shutdown and the curfews and all of this kind of stuff and so that's lingering around, you know, just kind of throw it in the bag, that fear just add it to the rest of the fears I've got, I've got around me right. or I'm carrying around with me. And, uh, I finally got to a point where I was like, uh, all right, it's, it's, it's time we gotta, we gotta do something like this is, I think more the most of the fear was the coronavirus, not my sobriety at the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, came to terms with, I should probably ask for help. They're going to ask us to quarantine it. So, and mm-hmm at some point right and I don't I don't know a single person that I can spend two weeks <laughs> cooped mm-hmm. up with right or that would allow me to stay somewhere with them for two weeks and so I called 211 uh, that's our county resource mm-hmm. hotline call 211 they get you to some resources they ask you how old you are how many kids you have what you do for work what hard times have you fallen on and I like checked all the categories right yeah <clears throat> unfortunately what I came to find out is that there aren't a lot of resources readily available, at least in this area for a young cisgendered, single white male who is very capable of working. Oh, who doesn't have any kids. It's not a veteran. And it's very capable of working it just isn't, mm-hmm. you know, there's just not a lot available for me. It's like, okay, well, do you have any mental health issues? No. <laughs> do you have any drug addiction problems? And of course at that time, I hadn't come to terms with this. So... No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I remember, you know, I'm on the phone with this woman and she's like, yeah, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a little while before we can get you something. It doesn't, there's just not a lot available. I've got places out the wazoo for single mother or for <laughs> veterans or for somebody who may is untreated bipolar or whatever, but, you know, just give me, give me a few days to work on this and my impatient self, right? Like, okay, great. But in my head, I'm thinking like, yeah, no, I'm never going to talk to her again. <laughs> We're going to find another place to go. Um, until she's about to hang up and I hear all this like commotion in the background. She's like, okay, I have to go. I will call you right back and hangs up. That was weird. Right. Um, so I'm moseying around. It's hot as hell in Palm Springs already. You know, I've got my bike and my bags and I found a place to charge my phone. Um, done. Uh, this is all chaos. But I'm painting the picture of chaos, right? right? And insanity. And she calls me back and she's like, you need to get shelter, right? You need to get in, indoors and in shelter right away. Palm Springs is going into lockdown tomorrow, which was terrifying. Was, oh, shit. Yeah, right. here we are. It's, it's here, right? That was March 16th, 2020. That was the last day I picked up a drink or a drug. But, um, oh. so she tells me, get inside. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh crap, it's time to find somebody who doesn't mind, you know, me taking them hostage. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Uh, yeah, here we go again, right? Mm-hmm. Another round of this stuff. And, um, I'm still sick, I'm still symptomatic, but I remember just having this moment of clarity. Like it it was either a moment of clarity or really I looked into my phone and started scrolling through phone numbers, people whose names I didn't save uh, and thinking, I really don't have anywhere to go. And that like sitting in, I'd probably been sober for, since earlier that day. And uh, so, you know, some clarity.
0: Loneliness.
1: Very lonely. Right. I, completely lonely. Uh-huh. And um, she called me back again to tell me, check this resource. It's DAP, Desert Day's Project. They might have something for you. Uh, and if they don't, you need to go to a hospital because the hospitals have social workers and they will help you find something. Wow. Um, and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, if I go to a h- hospital, I'm going to get arrested because they're going to drug test me and I'm going to get put into a psych ward ho- hospital. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and for the first time I was terrified of the police, terrified of being homeless, all these yets. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the first time I, I remember thinking, maybe this is, this is okay. Um, mm-hmm. I can't keep living like this. And I'd had that thought a lot, but this was the first time I really considered, you know, if they put me in jail they put me in a psych ward or wherever. Um, I was paranoid, so I was making all these things up. But if they put me in any of these places, you know, maybe then I, maybe I can get sober. And in the background, I had seen, you know, this person I had been running the streets with getting his life together. He looked great, so sobriety was actually really enticing for a few days there. Mm-hmm. And just this perfect storm of chaos and insanity and a little bit of hope, and the entire world going into lockdown. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I went to the wow. hospital. They discharged me. I wandered around the streets for my last night homeless, and on March 17th, 7 a.m., I got a call from the county. Um, moments after I'd surrendered to this concept of being arrested, being sent to rehab, or just spending a night in the hospital or going to a shelter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I got a call from the county, and they said, we're going to put you in a hotel we're going to put you in a hotel where you're going to quarantine shelter in place, uh, for the foreseeable future. And, uh, March 17th is my first, is my clean date. I got uh-huh. sober March 17th, 2020. And, uh, I walked into this hotel and, uh, I hit the bed and I, I just, I sobbed. I, I was, I was done.
0: Mm.
1: I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I remember still being in my own will for a few days prior, even a few hours prior, like, this is temporary, but there's something about having safety again and having shelter, and having my most basic needs met again, that just, it gave me this sense of like, you can stop, you know, I hear in the rooms, the war is over. You can put down your guns.
0: Wow.
1: Um, and at this point, you know, I was, I was ready to, I was tired.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you get tired and, uh,
0: They're running. That was, right?
1: Absolutely. It was, uh, we call it surrendering. It's my first moment of actual surrender. A lot of It's the first wave of my white flag. Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I spent. So that's where the fun begins, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was my rock bottom. Wow. I was walking into that hotel, and I would say I lived in that rock bottom mentality of somebody's going to pull the rug out from under me. They're going to take my hotel away. They're going to tell me I need to go. My hotel is being given to me. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right, right. Uh, safety. Know, all,
1: my safety. It's all going to be cra- come crashing down. So i was still in survivor mode, oh. and I probably live like that for the next two, three months. I mean, I still have the survivor instinct. I work at it uh, on a daily basis, but. This, like, don't trust anybody mentality lingered in the back of my head for a while. And it was at its strongest up until my very first AA meeting. Um, And this isn't a pitch for a program, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, attraction rather than promotion. But for me, I found a 12-step program that Mm -hmm. worked for me on Zoom. And what I can say about we addicts and alcoholics, we are a crafty lot. Like, we figure it out. You know, you tell us. Sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky people. <laughs> but I found recovery. I found 12 steps. I, I mm-hmm. found the person who was getting his life together. And he Eskimoed me. An Eskimo is somebody who goes out into the cold for you, right? Mm-hmm. We'll bring you mm-hmm. back in. He was my Eskimo. Um, he brought me to my first meeting. And I fell in love. The rest is history. You know?
0: Wow.
1: Talk too much about the 12-step stuff, but. You know I uh, I did a lot of things I was I shouldn't have done in my early recovery. I got to relationships uh, I, I got a job working in treatment which I'm extremely grateful for but don't recommend to anybody right uh, taking calls and I got a I got a taste of what it's like to help somebody besides myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: when I when I took my first call and it was a, a mother who was on the phone just sobbing her son was literally well not literally it was me. She yeah. was telling me my story of her son.
0: Through her eyes.
1: Yeah. Through her eyes. Uh-huh. Oh, man, I was, I was a wreck. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there trying to hold it together. You know, I have 30 days clean, and so we should not be talking to people <laughs> <laughs> like this. You're like,
0: hi, I'm new. <laughs> but somehow you did it.
1: We did it. We did it. I got to walk her through what it was like for me yeah. and offer her some solace, what worked for me what my parents did which was basically you know I I learned that they basically they knew that something was going on with me it was very obvious I'm sure but they knew something was going on with me and they just took a step back and were like he's got to figure it out on his own and I did you know not on my own but basically if they would have tried to tell me I needed to get clean and sober it would have given me one more reason to go use
0: like fuck that I'm not doing it yeah you know I mean this is a long road in a short time you know what I mean? But, I mean, you started at 12, and here we are. Yeah. You know, what's so powerful is, tell me a little bit who might have helped you. And you talked a little bit about that woman on that phone that called yeah. you back,
1: you know. So that's uh, there's a broker about here in uh, Riverside County called the HOPE Program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and they place people in, in various different struggling situations with housing, with food, um, and they were extremely run thin as a result of COVID,
0: oh, I bet. Uh,
1: but, oh man, I, I got, I got so lucky. They, uh, they acted quick the day that they went the, that phone call or that I was on, when I was on the phone with her and she had to hang up. It's because, you know, her supervisor was like, we need to do this, 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 this. And one of those things is. We need to find a hotel or two or Airbnbs. Palm Springs is full of them. (laughs) They (laughs) are. (laughs) You know, we need to figure out people are not going to be traveling. So we need to figure out which ones we can rent out and pay for to house this homeless population. And I was part of that population. And they came to the rescue.
0: And like what goes through your mind? I mean, you're getting clean and sober by yourself in some ways. I mean, isolation. How did that work for you?
1: I'll, wow. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll even paint a prettier picture. So I had used in this very same hotel, oh, shit. many, many, many times. It was the dingiest, junkiest, tweakiest little mm-hmm. hotel that ever was in <laughs> Palm Springs. And uh, wow. you know, it's you know they say uh, the opposite of addiction is connection, mm-hmm. and uh, I also said that we, we addicts and alcoholics were a crafty lot. We figured out a way to make connection happen. Uh, we did it on screens. Um, I'll tell you, uh, the HOPE program, uh, they were very rent thin. They told me they'd provide food, but it was, it was kind of, you know, um, and I've, it's part of my living amends is to help them in this category and donate where I can and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But they, the, the food that, that was given to me or whatever County resource that uh, was helping them with the food situation. They were giving me things like cans of tuna with no can opener or like <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, pot- potatoes au gratin with no milk or butter. And they, you know, just the things, you know, mm-hmm. that I can look back on and, and laugh at also, but you know, mm-hmm. that, that's one of those moments um, fellows that I was meeting in, in these meetings were bringing me groceries. Um, I took a 30 day trip six foot six feet apart from somebody is uh i didn't see another human being for 30 days no maybe less than that actually like postmates drivers remember postmates took off oh nighttime.
0: yeah
1: yeah that was a big deal right ordering DoorDash and stuff like oh. that those drivers
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah there's a special place in heaven for those types of for those people who stayed in service during that time um right. if you believe in that sort of thing but uh i uh didn't see very many people i didn't have my first uh Hug and get to touch another human being until I was taking a ninety-day trip, wow. which was, even that was scary. You know, mm-hmm. like because you don't know maybe they have COVID. We didn't know what that meant. Remember how terrifying COVID was in the beginning? Nobody knew. Nobody, Nobody knew, knew any of it. All that it was, was
0: killing people. That's what we knew.
1: And we didn't know which people or how mm-hmm. we just knew to be extra safe and precautious. And Palm Springs is generally an older community. Right. So of course here, everybody was on heightened, you know, uh-huh. high alert. Yeah. so oh. it was, uh, it was tough. And uh, I know that you said I got sober on my own with quarantine, but physically, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, like spiritually, absolutely not. I, I, there's no, I did not do that alone. And it wasn't even, you know, I have a good connection to a power greater than myself today. It's, one of the principles of our program and um, found out that I could create my own God kind of stuff, you know, just, you know, you know, how program works and um, (laughs) that worked for me. And uh, I definitely, I definitely didn't do it alone. I had people who loved me before I could look myself in the mirror and tell me that I was, I was enough, you know, which Mm -hmm. took a very long time to do. Um,
0: How did you allow people to come in Knowing that you were kind of not trusting for good reason for a long time.
1: It's a really good question, actually. I, uh, I, um, I worked with somebody on the. I just I started doing what like I started following suggestions. Uh, people told me reach out to another addict or alcoholic. It's gonna feel weird at first, but just just do it. And a lot of people were reaching out to me. A lot of people, and I had so fallen head over heels for this concept of belonging and mm-hmm. being seen and being felt and being heard all of those things right in meetings that I was willing to do what they were telling me to do even if it went against my better judgment because I also learned and realized that like my best thinking got me here
0: <laughs> right <laughs> my,
1: my my judgment my moral compass all that kind of stuff is completely out of whack for right now
0: <laughs>
1: and so uh also and then those taking those calls to working with families who like were really in it like and I was just barely out of it so like there's that right all like all of that it's just such a perfect storm for opening up the door and don't get me wrong I had my fair share of really crummy experiences really shitty mm-hmm. you know experiences uh one one person who in his active addiction I didn't know he's in active addiction he's married you know So said let's go have coffee you always hear about let's go do coffee okay. and, and we'll just hang out and stuff and we're still afraid of covid it's like three or four months in mm-hmm. Uh, we were gonna go and have food, coffee, and walk around. But it was too damn hot. It's the middle of summer now Palm Springs, mm-hmm. and uh, the restaurants aren't open because mm-hmm. COVID. So we decided uh, we'll go to the park in the shade. And then again, too hot. So we're gonna eat in his car, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, eat in his car. And then uh, decided, you know, he works for he worked for a major radio station at the time, and decided let's go let's go take a drive um we we'll take it to the, i'll go show you the radio station i'm thinking oh there's gonna be other people here no i was it was just me and him and he starts talking about the euphoric recall and glorifying the drugs and all this stuff and yeah. i was convinced that if i if he had pulled out a meth pipe i'd be gone off to the races was terrified and i also had it, it completely shattered all trust i had for people other people mm-hmm. men gay men in mm-hmm. particular older gay men in particular you know um Sure. I felt, it took me right back to that, you know, like, oh, I'm only good for one thing and one thing only, and it's providing something in exchange for drugs. Um, and I'm very grateful I had women in my life that I could call. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned that, you know, no is a one word, is a complete sentence. And so when I told him, like, it's time I need to go, oh, you stay? No. And that was it. Done. Like, I didn't have boundaries. I didn't have a sense of you know good or bad right wrong any of that moral compassy stuff, um, and the women, the men of uh, of program taught me that, and uh, I'm I'm a little sponge like I soaked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got back to my little hotel room and I called I called as many people as it took to until somebody answered. I think only like three people, but um, she walked me through it. And I was like, I don't even know if he's high or not. Like, I just, I didn't, my stomach is in knots right now. I was mm-hmm. terrified. Um, and then, you know, the next week he's out on a run relapse. And so my gut was right. Like my, you know, we say we have program the same, like, you know, God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. That, that was one of those moments, like right. that physical reaction that I was feeling I'm I'm very grateful for it because it's kept me out of a lot of trouble,
0: right. Now uh, it's a little more safe. Now you can rely on it more,
1: oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. You learn to trust the gut
0: <laughs> in a different way, right?
1: In a different way, absolutely wow. all of all of our experiences we use in different ways today. Uh, you know, all all, of, all of that chaos, that wreckage, that just nasty living way of living, those are those are my superpowers today, right? that that gives me a story to tell and connect with people on.
0: See, I love that because, you know, in this in this field, many people get wounded and it's like permanent shit, you know, and so they have hesitancy, low self-esteem, low self-worth, like, fuck this. There's no way I can do that, nor am I deserving because look at all the shit that I've done. And for you to be able to reframe that, that's something that is how do you get to a place to do that?
1: Ooh. So in, uh, throughout the process of working the steps and doing the recovery stuff, you, you obviously, you break apart. You look at all of those things, right? All of my shitty experiences, my resentments, just terrible, terrible stuff that I've done. Right. You look at all of that under our microscope. Um, and when I went into it for the first time, uh, I went into it with the mindset of knowing that all of this stuff has like shock value, right? Like, Oh,
0: totally. I'm, I'm, I'm
1: going to get him. I'm going to get him with this one. Watch. Can't wait to see the look on his face. It, it, you know, the internal dialogue kind of stuff. And, um, and it didn't, he was totally like, Oh, same hmm. flat face. Just like, okay, cool. Next.
0: And you're like, wait,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he, he read me like a book. He knew exactly where I was, right. what I was trying to do. And, uh, and then funny enough, just like you list out all the crazy, scary, terrible things, you list out your assets. <sighs> that was hard. Remember that, you know, it took me a long time to be able to look myself in the mirror kind of stuff. Um, writing out what I liked about myself. Oh, <sighs> it's felt always utter- an awkward, oh, tough exercise. It felt utterly impossible. Absolutely impossible. And uh, And he walked me through it that experience of knowing that i am not my i am not my past you know Mm -hmm. i am not my old behaviors i'm not my traumas i am not my diagnoses those are not Mm -hmm. who i am um it's they were all experiences and i can either let them hinder me or help me grow
0: right and and have them be your teacher
1: yeah and don't get me wrong it's not a conscious decision that i came oh well, it can be for some people but for me it wasn't like a, i'm going to now think of it differently
0: <laughs> right <laughs> right it's
1: it's changing the internal dialogue you know we know that when there's constant negative self-talk sure. if you just switch those to positives our whole demeanor and attitude changes on everything right Absolutely. get rid of the negative self-talk and so for me it was what's the positive in this how do i make this positive okay yeah i've got all this trauma stuff i'm not i, I can't exactly just Drop it, and walk away from it, from it forever. Right. I've let go of a lot more of it <laughs> than I have now. But, but it's not it's not that simple of a process. It's okay if I have to hold this kind of stuff until I can work through it. How do how do I hold it so that I'm comfortable still and can carry it?
0: Right, and it doesn't and kill you, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that it doesn't drive me to my next drug. Right. Right. Wow. Oh. So it was sharing that experience with other people. The last piece of it is sharing that experience with other people. And hearing people say, "Wow, uh, I didn't know. I thought it was the only one,"
0: right? Yeah, and you're not. And you're not. Absolutely. In I'm all sure ways, in all these different ways. I mean, that leads us to this one thing. This is just really remarkable, and I really appreciate you sharing such yeah. deep parts of you. You know what? Because this is a this not no one is really truly alone if they can see that. And, but if someone right now is listening to this and going, well, f- that's great for Rory, but my shit's different, you know what I mean? I did this, this, and this, and this shit happened to me, and you know, they're in a dark place too, right? But it's hard for people sometimes to, to see beyond their pain. Um, what would you tell them? What would yeah. you sh- say to somebody in that mind space, even if oh, man. it's hard to, I would imagine?
1: there's a few different things um yeah for starters i i very much have the same mentality if you had my life you would drink too remember oh yeah self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. type of stuff that sure. talking about like oh yeah if you had if you had my childhood you'd have the same trauma. you know all right. that kind of stuff um it's remembering that that mentality is what keeps us in our active addiction right
0: mm-hmm.
1: the second thing is um question your stories. That was like some of the best advice. Like I get really good. I know, when, I know when the zingers are in a good traumatic story. You I know what, when, when I, I, mean, I might be able to get a tear out, like all that kind of stuff. Right. I can tell you about this domestic violence experience Da mm-hmm. and like how he did this and I did whatever, all of that stuff. I like, you get really good at the story and it becomes less about the experience and more about the story. When I, when I started questioning my stories, you know, And started looking at my experiences with the honesty within those types of things i got to really look at yeah my life is this shit my life really isn't that isn't that great i really am truthfully alone and i don't want it to get much worse than that so i guess if somebody were in the same situation they felt like yeah great that's your experience but mine's this that the other thing and this bad you're no matter how alone you feel you never truly are alone You are never, ever, ever alone. There's always, always, always somebody available for you. Um, And in today's day and age, it's a lot easier to access than ever before. Ever, ever, ever before. You know, Um, you are are uniquely you, but our feelings are the same. I know what bad feels like. You know what bad feels like. I know what good feels like. You know what good feels like you know I might not know what it's like to have kids taken away from me but I know what it's like to lose family you know Mm -hmm. so we always have something we can relate to and when you learn to start looking for the similarities instead of the differences life gets a whole hell of a lot better I don't know what it's like to be trans but I know what it's like to feel uncomfortable in my own skin in some way shape or form very different experience I'm sure but I know what pain feels like too you know or feeling like a mistake You know, very young parents. I grew up thinking I was a mistake and ruined their life. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so we all have we all have the same feelings, just different experiences.
0: And you can share them in a place that can connect, as opposed to to distance yourselves.
1: Absolutely, there's always help.
0: And see, that is so beautiful because down this path that you described sounded awful. You know, and that is one version of podcast version. The reality, it was probably really dark, more dark. But the reality what you just shared is not alone. You can stay connected, even in fucking lockdown. You know what I mean? I mean, getting in clean during the pandemic that is a really good reason not to stay clean isn't it
1: oh man it's <laughs> you don't
0: really it's, need an excuse but that's one of them
1: oh man and it's the it was the world's biggest excuse oh, most, yeah. pop, most popular excuse you know everybody's isolating it's the one thing we're told as addicts and alcoholics not to do oh i have to do it therefore i have a pass to drink look i could have found any number of reasons to oh, sure. go pick up again right mm-hmm. like Being in a hotel and the person across the way opening up the door looking fine as hell with a Mm -hmm. pipe in his hand, right? Good enough excuse. It worked in the past, right? That would have been more than enough. Sure. Or losing a job, walking away from a job. My partner relapsing. Separating from my partner because I can't continue to put myself through pain at his expense. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. All of that any number of those reasons would have been more than enough to pick up. Um, But I don't, those aren't my, I I don't have to live that way anymore. (laughs) You know, I don't need to justify my addiction. Um, We get really good at justifying stuff. Really, really good. That's addict. That's my addict mentality Mm -hmm. is I can, I can justify the shit out of anything. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. And, and as a person in recovery who is helping other people, what is your reason to stay in recovery? (gasps)
1: Oh, exactly that. I mean, come on, that's it. End of story. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. I so, oh, man, I so love what I do. Uh-huh. Like I, uh, yeah, it's, I'm so grateful. And I, and I work for a queer facility, you know, mm-hmm. I work for a treatment facility an addiction treatment facility out here in Palm Springs. Um, we are not a, sorry, I shouldn't say we are not a queer facility, but we, we are best known for our working with the queer population. Sure, sure. And, to be able to be on the front lines and talk to somebody on the phone who uses they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And I have the insight to be able to work with them. And I have background and all of this and meet them where they're at, talk to them and mm-hmm. then walk them into treatment, allow them to feel safe, mm-hmm. allow them to feel seen and heard, and to recognize that they're not alone and they don't have to be, if they don't want to be alone, you know, and then like, watching the light turn on in someone's eyes. Oh, it's like, it's the most incredible experience of just every, it's just, it's what makes it all worthwhile. Even if I found in my life that I have got more, more reasons today to live a life and keep this life that I have beyond that's, you know, bigger than I could have ever imagined. But even if all of that disappeared and I had this service that I was doing, like that would be plenty to keep me, keep me coming back and keep me in the rooms and keep me clean and keep me from, you know, picking up again.
0: Keeping you connected. Yeah. Right. To not just them, but to yourself.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: How wonderful is that? (laughs) I am so grateful that you were willing to like share that, share this part of you. Really amazing.
1: I appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to share because, uh, it does a lot for me to get it out there, you know? The, the, something with the most traumas, the more I kind of put it out and walk through it, question my story, speak honestly, mm-hmm. the less power those types of things have over me. And, uh, I am not that past. That is not who Rory is. Mm-mm. You know, do they shape who Rory is today? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Actually a lot of it, you know, mm-hmm. but I am not those experiences.
0: It does not have to be your destiny. Yeah. Because no. you're creating it right now right in real time and it's yeah. so amazing so thank you so very much i really oh appreciate it
1: my pleasure oh and i have good news for you i thought i'd share too because oh, yes. last time we chatted i didn't tell you about this so the dance thing right yes i've never danced in sobriety oh i've danced for a few drag queens here there i've never <laughs> booked a professional gig in sobriety uh just booked my first professional gig stop it gig. so it's all coming back
0: oh my god that's so great yeah, i, I want to know, so know more stoked. about this
1: Oh, uh, we'll catch up and I'll tell you Oh, you bet. It. It's so, it's Go. Amazing. I'm
0: so stoked. Well, awesome. Well, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit later, but thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Buck yesterday. Focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.